0: Morning. Mike working? All right, good. I'm going to wait for a second and Dell's uh music stand. So a little bit about me. My name is Josh Whitmire. I'm a resident at the, uh, main at the um, Green Lake location. Uh, and basically residency, I've talked to a few of those, is basically kind of like medical residency for doctors i 'm a first year pastor, so uh, that is is kind of how we explain it there's j- another resident, his name is Jonathan Welch, and hopefully you'll have the <coughs> excuse me the opportunity to meet him as well so i've been in the residency about six months uh, previous to that I had worked as an engineer i've been at Bethany actually for thirteen years um, started attending there well in undergrad, so but uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to be with you today. Um, thank you again to Travis for the opportunity, and so let me pray, and, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you again for these people here. Thank you for the work that goes into uh, all the setup, and I just ask now that you would um, guide me, Lord, let uh, your word be spoken, and anything that is... Just chaff, let it let it be blown away, and let your word rest in our hearts. Ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. So, a few weeks ago, um, as I was I was going to well, I went to bed and was unable to sleep, and so. I was looking at my bookshelf for something to read, you know, something that I could read but uh, would bore me enough or, um, you know, wouldn't hold my interest too much that I could fall asleep to, and I picked up a cookbook little odd, I, I know, but I, I like to cook, I enjoy, I enjoy food, and I like to cook, so it's a good combination, uh, but I really enjoy just understanding how all of the ingredients and all the processes that go into cooking go together to produce a meal. If you've ever seen um, Alton Brown or the show Good Eats, silly puns, quirky guy, looking into the science of how food works, that, that, that's who I'd want to be if I were a chef. So anyways, um, I picked up, I picked up uh, this cookbook and started reading. And this one revolves around the use of honey. And the cook or the chef in it uh, describes her introduction to honey and then describes her introduction into beekeeping. And she learns about the plight of bees and what's going on in our world with bees. And so she decides, I'm going to start keeping bees. So she... Gets two colonies of bees. Uh, from my understanding, if you've seen any sort of beekeeping or, um, you know, they, you have your bee boxes, and then you have like a slat that goes down in, and so that's a colony of bees. And so she gets two colonies of bees. And she's in, in the Carolinas, in North or South Carolina, and so should be an okay climate, and bees die the first year. So she's not dismayed, so she then gets two more colonies of bees, tries again. Die the second year. Little dismayed, but she's going to try again, but she writes that she's going to get some advice. So she gets some advice, and one of the first pieces of advice from someone who is much more the beekeeper than she is, says, your boxes are in the shade. They need to be in the sun. She had put her bee boxes in the shade because she was thinking, oh, hot climate. Like, I, I would enjoy the cool shade. Surely the bees would. Come to find out, no, the bees need sun. So she, she changes that around, puts the boxes where they're going to get sun and a few other things. And what do you know? Her bees don't die. So, and she gets honey the next year from the bees. And so the reason I, I tell you that story is basically the bees, in order to produce honey, in order to produce fruit, they needed certain things to live. And that is uh, some of what we see in our uh, passage today. Jesus calls... Um, the disciples and us to himself and says, if you want fruit, you have to abide. And so we are, as we look at these sta- I am statements of Jesus, last week was the bread of life, so Jesus the giver of life, and then today it's the true vine, and Jesus is the source of life. I also want to make sure that we have a clear word picture of the vine. Jesus is talking of the grapevine, and often, again, I went to Seattle Pacific University. They have ivy growing all over the campus, so I often think of like vines of these green climber plants that go all the way up buildings. No, the vine in this sense is much more of a like small trunk of a tree, and then out of that come branches, and then off of that comes the fruit. So just that's kind of more the picture. I don't know, maybe all of you knew that, but I did not. I, uh, so that just helped me when picturing the vine as the source of life. Also, as we uh, are getting to uh, the observations that I come with today from the Word, um, I want to recognize that these are Jesus' last words. Uh, they come on his last night before the cross, and he knows this. And the correlation I want to make is that there, maybe you've heard of this idea of a last lecture. A lot of professors give talks titled The Last Lecture. Uh, professors at colleges are asked to consider um, what would their, consider their demise as uh, I have it here, and to ruminate on what matters most to them. And while they speak, uh, they're asked to say, what wisdom would they impart to the world if they knew it was their last chance? If they were to vanish, what would they want to leave as their legacy? And about 10 years ago, uh, a Carnegie Mellon professor of computer science, Randy Pausch, spoke at a last lecture, but he did not have to imagine the scenario because he had recently been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And it says that the lecture he gave, really achieving your childhood dreams, wasn't about dying. Instead, it was a summation of everything he had come to believe. It was about living. These, th- what Jesus says here as part of his last lecture, he too is concerned with living. In an earlier teaching in John, in John 10, Jesus stated that he came that people may have life and have it abundantly. That life is life that only comes through being connected to him, and that's what he's concerned with. He's concerned with the disciples and their living and concerned with us and our living. So in the section of scripture that Travis read for us, I have three observations. Jesus' call is to abide. Two, abiding comes through obedience. And three, The result of obedience is joy. So first observation. Jesus' call is to abide. Verses 4 and 5 again. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is calling disciples to have his life in them, and the result of that life will be fruit. Without his life, there is no fruit. And fruit is not defined here in this passage, but biblically we understand fruit to be the actions and thoughts of a person or a group of people. You might remember in another teaching from Matthew that Jesus spoke of bad trees bearing bad fruit, and good trees good fruit. But here there is only the one true vine and the branches. And so the only way of bearing fruit is via the true vine, Jesus, and so there is only good fruit. So the question for us is not bad tree or good tree, but rather connected to the vine or not connected. If connected to the vine, then good fruit, because the life-giving rise to that fruit, is Jesus. If not connected to the vine, then there is no fruit to even speak of. Maybe some of you seen a bumper sticker, and, and this isn't the place to talk about bumper stickers and their use or not, but there's a bumper sticker that says, No Jesus, No Peace, as in K-N-O-W, and No Jesus, N-O, No Peace. Similarly here, it's kind of that idea of, With Jesus, fruit. Without Jesus, no fruit. So Jesus calls us to abide, pointing to himself as the source of life. And fruit will come as a result of being connected to him. And the fruit of the Christian life is the expressions of life that are the expressions of God's ways and God's life. Galatians 5.22 uh, is a well-known verse to to those of us in the church that talks about the fruit of God's life, and it says it is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the life that Jesus desires for us to have and that comes from being connected to him. Also, Jesus' call is to abide, and so we should understand what the word abide means. Common definitions are to remain or stay um, that carry with it that connection of being connected. But also, also, here, this word specifically is to be in close and settled union with Jesus. And settled union with Jesus means having settled that Jesus is Lord. One of my favorite childhood movies is Cool Runnings. So all right so I I feel like some of you know of that movie by the response so but for those of you who don't it's um it it tells the it's loosely based on the first Jamaican bobsled team to go to the winter olympics in 1988 uh classic sports movie underdog seeking respect and glory character in need of redemption life lessons about persevering uh cheesy but good music so um but it's it, so now there's my plug for the movie, which I didn't mean to do, but there's the plug. So, but I bring it up because it gives me the, it gives me this uh, this picture. So bobsledding, if you're not familiar with it at all, is basically a sled race down an icy chute. And you have a team, and in this, sen- this case, a team of four people. And they start off at the top, and they they push off, and then they all jump in to their steel or aluminum sled, and they race down the mountain. And basically, it's just... Uh, you're, you're sledding down a mountain, though they do have a little bit of ability to steer the sled. But the only one that has the ability to steer the sled is the driver. And th- when I was uh, preparing the sermon and thinking of it, in that movie, there's two different races, and the team in one race is they're not in unison at all like their heads are bob it's made very clear that their heads are bobbing all over the place and they're not like together into the turns and like that's not what you want they have a horrible time they don't they aren't doing very well and then they do another race and they're in unison Like they're in unison with the driver. The driver's hitting the turns, and the three people behind him are all like they're all shifting their weight together because that's what you're supposed to do in bobsledding. Like you are, you're right next to the person in front of you. You're like hugging them. Like your head's in their shoulder blades, basically. And when they shift, when the driver shifts, then you shift, and you you go right, you go left, but you're following the driver. And that's the picture I think of: close and settled union with Jesus. Also about bobsledding, so. Uh, during the 2014 Sochi Olympics, I, I was reading an article, and one of the uh, teammates of a uh, or one of the teammates of a team was said, "We rely on the driver to guide us down the squiggles and curves of the track." And then another teammate said, who was not the driver, and he said this cheerily, "We should be confident in the pilot; he has our lives in his hands." That's what it is to be in close and settled union with Jesus. To know that He has our lives in our hand, in His hands, and so we trust him. We hug into him, we, we get close. We, we settle in tight. We, we, when he shifts right, we shift right. When he shifts left, we shift left. <coughs> Excuse me. as he steers the sled, we follow. The call to abide in Jesus is similar to the call that Jesus gives in Matthew 11. He says there, he calls to the weary and the heavy laden, he says, come to me and you will find rest. But the invitation isn't to come and lay down, it's to come and take up his yoke and learn from him, and in that they find rest. Similarly here, Jesus invites us, invites invites the disciples, invites us to abide, and then fruit will come. So our call is not to bear fruit as much as it is to abide in Jesus and as a part of abiding, as part of being connected to him, being in close and settled union, close, knowing his love, union, settled union, following him as Lord, then the fruit comes. And those things that, that I'd mentioned, the hope, uh, peace, patience, kindness, I desire those things in my life. I would imagine that you desire those things in, our, in your life, but we don't have the ability to do it apart from Jesus. We only have the ability to do it when we know know that we are loved by God and we can live out of such a place. And it's in Jesus that we find it. So Jesus' call is to abide. You may ask, how do we abide? Observation number two, abiding comes through obedience. Let me read again verses 9 and 10. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Note first that Jesus assures them of his love. Just as God the Father loves Jesus, so Jesus has loved the disciples. And so he directs them then to abide. There's the word again, abide, to remain in, to be in close and settled union with, to abide in his love. And he says that he's abided in God's love, God the Father's love by keeping his commandments. And his, his example is ours to follow. Jesus abides in the love of the Father by always obeying him. Throughout John, Jesus attests to the fact that he does not do anything that is not first from the Father. He's always following the Father. So in doing this is how he abides. It's not that, that, that God loves him because of such, but because he, he does these things, he abides. He remains in God's love. He invites us to abide in his love by keeping his commandments. And what are the commandments of Jesus? Earlier in his ministry, in Mark 12, someone had asked him what was the greatest commandment. And Jesus' response was such. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The commandments of Jesus, love God and love your neighbor. Now, in what I've said here, I feel that I run the danger of of being heard as saying that it's, it's tit for tat, that God's love is based on us keeping the commandments, and that is not what God's love is based on. God loves each of us here. Earlier in the book of John, John wrote, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The question is not does God love us, but will we accept God's love? And will we abide in it? Will we live in it? Will we confess to the truth of his love? And the truth of his love is Jesus. I I just read it. For God so loved that he gave Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we have no fruit, no spiritual life, no relationship with God. But God's love is such that he sent Jesus that we might have life through a relationship with him. So the truth of his love is Jesus. Earlier in the book in chapter 6, in the same dialogue where Jesus declares he is the bread of life, our, our passage last week, the people had asked Jesus what it is to do the works of God. And his response is, to believe in the one God has sent. That is, to believe in him. Believing and agreeing with Jesus that he is who he declared he is, that he's the bread of life, that he's the true vine, is the first step to loving God with all of our being and abiding, remaining, settled, close and settled union in him and his love. It is only then by the life that Jesus brings that we can truly love our neighbor. Only by abiding in, by being connected to the life of Jesus, do we have the resources to obey and love both God and our neighbor. The life of Jesus in us, for the word picture, the life of the true vine that flows into the branch, is the resource we need to love our neighbor, to produce fruit. Richard Dahlstrom, the senior pastor at Green Lake, often says, Christ in us and through us, so that we can be what we could never be on our own. We're called to abide. Jesus tells us that abiding comes through obedience, and this is obedience, acknowledging Jesus for who he is, the truth of God's love, sent that we might have life, and then by his life, loving our neighbor. Brings me to my third observation. The result of obedience is joy. The last verse of our passage today. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. These things is referring to what Jesus is speaking in this moment. And Jesus' concern is disciples' joy, and for that matter, our joy. Jesus is saying that his joy, his delight, was in his relationship with God, which consisted in knowing the love of God and abiding in his love as he obeyed and followed him. That was his joy. In John 4.34, Jesus says that his food is to do God's will and accomplish God's work. Oswald Chambers, well known for his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says about this verse, the joy of Jesus was the absolute self-surrender and self-sacrifice of himself to his father, the joy of doing that which the father sent him to do. This is the joy Jesus desires for his disciples, joy that comes from living and loving, born out of an abiding relationship with God. Jesus is the truth of God's love And through his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, each of us is invited into that abiding relationship with God. It is then through Jesus' life that we can love God and our neighbor. And in such loving and living and abiding is the joy of relationship with God. (laughs) Joy is born out of God's love for us and our response to it. The delight has to do with our relationship with God and not external circumstances is a joy that can come when you're on top of the world or when you're weighed down because the washer broke or your children need you or your spouse needs you or your parents need you or the world needs you or all of the above and there's no end in sight to it and you are just feeling weary. We all have days and times that try and test us, but there is an abiding, a remaining and assuring joy that comes from knowing we are loved by the creator and redeemer of the universe. One of the most beloved and well-known hymns is It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford, the man who wrote it, wrote it during a time of great personal loss. He had suffered financial loss due to the Great Chicago Fire in 1871. And then in 1873, his wife and four daughters were sailing to Europe when their ship collided with another and went down. Only his wife survived. Still grieving, Horatio penned the words to him while sailing, sailing to meet his wife. Speaking of knowing both peace and sorrow, he states in the hymn, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. He wasn't saying that he wasn't grieving. He wasn't saying that life hadn't been hard. But he was saying that he had a deep abiding relationship with, the, with, with Jesus Christ. And that that gave him hope. That, that, that there was still a piece of delight in his life. Remember, this is part of Jesus' last lecture. He knows the greatest joy and desires that all may know it. So he's telling his disciples these very important things that concern not just physical life, but the inner life, spiritual life. And he calls them, he says, abide. And then how do we Abide. Abiding is through following him. And he tells us all this because he desires our joy. He's not telling us this because he desires to keep us in line or he's on a power trip. He tells it to us for our joy. And you'll note that the followers of Jesus caught this, this same note of desiring others' joy. In the book of Acts, The Apostle Paul stands before King Agrippa at the end. He's been captured and certain charges and he's brought before this king and he's going to make his defense. And so he makes his defense and tells of his conversion story. And and then at the very end, these are Paul's words to King Agrippa. I would wish to God that whether in short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. And then he winsomely adds, except for, he ch- except for these chains. Paul desired that King Agrippa, that all who were there might know the joy that comes from a, from a relationship with Jesus, that might know the joy that comes from knowing his, his love, from abiding in that love, except for the outer circumstances of his chains. Paul was a self confessed murderer, but he knew the abiding love of God through Jesus. Remember the bees? Honey was a sign that they were alive. Jesus' call to us is to abide, to know his life, and the fruit will come. What is your step today? Remember the bobsled team? And, abiding and being in unison and being in unison with the driver and shifting right when the driver shifts right and shifting left when the driver shifts left. The driver for us is Jesus. Maybe there's a step to take you so you're just a little bit closer and a little more in settled union with Jesus today. Perhaps your step is simply to express the joy that you know comes from, a, from your abiding relationship with Christ that others may see it. The band's going to come now, and we're going to sing again, and as they do, I I ask you just to consider praying uh, and asking God what your next step may be concerning abiding today.